Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. We're very glad that you're able to join with us as we return to the series called The Fullness of Life. We took a little bit of a break from that as we studied the, the lessons from the life of Jonah. And you recall that the fullness of life is rooted in the text from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is an abundant life, a life that is fruitful and victorious. And make no mistake, it is the life that God intends for every single one of his children. And so far, we've looked at several key elements of this kind of life, which include abiding in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the warfare of the Spirit. And now today we begin a new segment of this called the community of the Spirit. Because here's the thing, the full or abundant life is lived in biblical community. Let me say that again. It is so foundational and it is so important. The full or abundant life is lived in biblical community. And so the key phrase in our study is this. It is one another. And it comes from the Greek alelon. And it is used 100 times in 94 New Testament verses. Now think about that just for a moment. This phrase, one another, alone in the Greek, is used 100 times in 94 New Testament verses. So what does that tell you? It's really important, right? If God says something once, you better listen. But if he says it 100 times, well, you really better listen. This is clearly something that God doesn't want us to miss. It's something that he, he wants to make sure that we get right. Why? Because God intends for all of his children to experience the fuller abundant life, which is only possible through living in biblical community. And so for this reason, one of the marks of a true disciple of Jesus Christ is this. Again, the marks are missional, accountable, reproducible, communal is the letter C, and scriptural. And by communal, we mean that they are intentional about living in biblical community. And I think that word intentional is so important. Biblical community doesn't just happen passively or haphazardly. It only happens through intentionality. And by fulfilling those 94 one another passages in the New Testament. Examples of these one another's include welcome one another, care for one another, serve one another, comfort one another, admonish one another, pray for one another, bear with one another, encourage one another, and forgive one another. And so a part of this segment of the Fullness or Abundance of Life series is for us to look at um, some of these very specifically and how we are to live them out. Now, common sense tells us that it, it's impossible to fulfill these biblical commands unless you are intentional about living in biblical community, right? You, you can't fulfill the one another's in isolation, disconnected from the body of Christ. And that's why one author said it this way. He said, we are meant to live all alone, but not all alone, which is a bit corny, I, I admit, but it works, and it is true. And so the title for today's message is Members One of Another. 
members one of another. And it comes to us from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. That's going to be our, our target verse today where we really dig down deep. But before we do that, let's talk about the context of Romans 12, 3 through 5. The great reformer Martin Luther, he said this about the book of Romans. He said, this epistle, this letter, is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of his soul. We can never read it or ponder over it too much, for the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Now, why would Luther speak so highly of the book of Romans? I believe it is because it is really the most thorough explanation of the gospel in all the scriptures. And that explanation comes to us in two parts. First of all, Romans chapters 1 through 11 are mainly doctrinal. It is an 11-chapter gospel presentation in which the Apostle Paul systematically explains in painstaking detail our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But then the remainder of the book, chapters 12 through 16, is intensely practical. It is intensely practical. It is the how should we then live portion of the gospel presentation, the application of it. In light of the doctrine of chapters 1 through 11, chapters 12 through 16 instruct us in how to live. But here's the thing. I think far too many of us, including myself, stop at chapter 11. Now, what do I mean by that? We love the doctrine of the gospel as we should, but not so much the practical implications of the gospel. Let me say that again. We love the doctrine of the gospel, but not so much the practical implications of it, because the application of the gospel means that we are to live as Jesus lived, selflessly and sacrificially, and in ways that go far beyond our security and our comfort. And one of these selfless, uncomfortable, practical implications of the gospel is the call to live in biblical community. And so with this in mind, let's dive into the text. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, it begins in verse 3 by saying, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Would you bow your heads with me as I pray? and Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much that you have not left us to live isolated lives that are alone, but by your wisdom, by your design, you have called us to be members one of another. So as we unpack this concept today, God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts with conviction for those areas where we choose wrongfully to remain isolated and detached And God, encourage us with a positive vision of all that could be and should be as we pursue living in biblical community together. God, I I pray for your help as I preach, and I pray for help for each of us as we listen to the voice of your Holy Spirit. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our theme today is members one of another. Our primary text, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. We'll also be looking at Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 a bit later. But the situation is this in Romans 12. In light of Paul's 11-chapter gospel presentation, he now begins a new section in Romans instructing his audience, which includes us, in how we are to live. Our passage today is at the beginning of this new section, and one of those instructions given in light of the gospel is that we are to live together in biblical community. We are, in fact, to be members one of another. And so Paul begins his instruction, first of all, with the warning to believers, the warning to believers. And that warning has to do with faulty thinking, which is so very important. Battles are won and lost in the mind. We are, in so many ways, what we think. So Paul begins with a warning concerning faulty thinking. Look again at verse 3, where it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So what what is the faulty thinking that Paul identifies here in verse 3? It is pride. It is pride, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, which all of us are so prone to do. And one of the ways this pride manifests itself in our lives is with the attitude of self-sufficiency. Pride representing or manifesting itself with the attitude of self-sufficiency. Paul gives a warning to believers about this faulty thinking rooted in pride manifesting itself with an attitude of self-sufficiency. A self-sufficiency which might cause us to say, I don't need biblical community. I don't need biblical community. I'm doing just fine on my own, me and Jesus, and my favorite online preacher or podcast, we've got it covered on our own. But here's the thing. When we say, I don't need biblical community, what it means is that I know better than God. It means I know better than God, that we as His creatures know better about what we need than the Creator, the one who actually designed us. God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that the man should be alone. And we often and appropriately, I believe, correlate that statement with marriage, but it has such a broader application than just marriage. That broader application is this, that we were all created to live in biblical community as members one of another. Why? Well, because we are created in God's image, a spectacular concept which gives each one of us such rich meaning and value. We are created in God's image, and God Himself lives in community a triunity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, as God's image bearers, our lives are to be marked by this kind of community, the kind that we see in the Trinity, which is one of the key purposes of the church, to foster that kind of community. And so when we say, I don't need biblical community, we're engaged in faulty thinking. Next, prideful self-sufficiency might cause us to say, I don't have time for biblical community. I don't have time for biblical community, and I get that. We are busy people doing lots of things, some of which are really, really good. And if we're honest, some not so good. Areas in our lives which are not such good 
examples of stewardship of time. John Piper has this memorable quote. It, it, it cuts right to the heart, I believe, of our culture. He says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Ultimately, we do make time for what is most important to us, don't we? And as it relates to members one of another of biblical community, when we say, I don't have time for biblical community, what it means is, I have misprioritized my life. I have misprioritized my life because you have ultimately chosen to participate in some things that God never intended for you. Because God will never make you so busy that you don't have time to obey Him. If you are too busy to obey God's command for biblical community, then guess what? You're too busy. You have chosen to participate in some things that God never intended for you. And I think one of Satan's greatest weapons against, his, against Christ's church is to make us busy with good things so that we neglect the best things. To make us busy with good things so that we neglect the best things. And one of the best things that God intends for his people is biblical community. And if we're honest, our faulty thinking rooted in pride and manifesting itself in an attitude of self-sufficiency may cause us to say, I don't want biblical community. I don't want it. And, and I must be honest and confess to you that there are days that I don't want it either. Because relationships are messy. People can be annoying and rub us the wrong way. Or even worse, they may hurt us and actually mark it down. They will hurt us, even and especially in the church. It's part of the deal when human beings come together. Even human beings who have been saved marvelously by God's grace are in the process of sanctification, of being conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. We have not yet arrived at glorification, and so there will be those occasions where, sadly and tragically, we do hurt each other, but it's in that hurt at times that is an integral part of our sanctification and our growth. So why bother? If, if part of biblical community is, is being hurt and annoyed, isn't it much safer to keep a safe distance from biblical community? Well, here's the thing. When we say, I don't want biblical community, what it means is that I am willing to settle for something less than the fuller abundant life. I am willing to settle for something less than the fuller abundant life. I'm, I'm willing to settle for less than God's best for me. But church, listen carefully. While the cost of participating in biblical community is high, and it is a high cost, the cost of not participating is even higher. And here's why I say that. You see, settling for less than biblical community is simply a euphemism for disobedience, sin. And the consequence of disobeying any of God's commands is that we forfeit the fullness of His presence and His power in our lives. Anytime there is willful disobedience in our lives, there is a barrier to communion with God and therefore a barrier to His presence and His power in our lives. And here's part of the problem, I think. Um, we tend to prioritize commandments of commission over commandments of omission. Let me say that again. We tend to prioritize commandments of commission over commandments of omission. Now, this is what I mean. We take seriously the commandments that begin with thou shalt not and feel pretty good about ourselves if we're fulfilling these. 
But do we take as seriously the commandments that begin with thou shall? For example, God's command is do not murder, but he also commands us do share your faith with your neighbor. Do we take the second commandment as seriously as we take the first? Or do we view the second as more of a suggestion, not carrying as much weight as the first? Similarly, God has commanded us to intentionally engage in biblical community. This is a commandment and not a suggestion. Our failure to obey this command is every bit as sinful as the thou shalt nots. So, as members of one another, in this passage, Paul begins by giving a warning to believers, first, faulty thinking, rooted in pride, manifesting itself with an attitude of self-sufficiency. Then the, the second half of the verse, he warns us about forgetful thinking, forgetful thinking, which really is the root of our faulty thinking, if we're honest. Our thinking is faulty because it is forgetful. Look again at verse 3. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. To think with sober judgment. What what is Paul so concerned that we are going to forget? Well, the answer is everything he just taught us about the gospel in Romans 1 through 11, and specifically in the gospel, from where we have come. Our wretched, hopeless, sinful condition before Jesus so marvelously saved us by His grace. You know, even the great apostle Paul said of himself in Romans 7.24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Paul never forgot from where he had come. He never lost sight of what he was before Jesus saved him, which was wretched. Synonyms for wretched include despicable, deplorable, pathetic, and pitiful. That's what we were, wretched. But the truth is, sometimes we do forget, don't we? Sometimes we think we did something to deserve our salvation or that we had something to do with it. Now, we may not actually think that thought proactively, but perhaps it happens passively in our subconscious. We live as if we have that thought. When all along, our salvation is only a free gift of God's grace. When we forget from where we have come, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought, and we manifest the attitude of self-sufficiency, not needing, not thinking that we need biblical community. So again, Paul gives us a warning about faulty thinking and about forgetful thinking, all of which leads to an attitude of self-sufficiency and a lifestyle apart from biblical community. But then, Paul presents the positive argument, which is the wonder of believers. The wonder of believers. And here's where things get really exciting. Here's where I hope to be able to cast some vision with you all about what could be. What could be in Christ's church? What church could be like? Look at verse 5. It says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Members one of another. In contrast to the faulty thinking of pride, which manifests itself in self-sufficiency and results in forfeiting God's presence and God's power because of our disobedience, here's the wonder of believers, that God in His infinite wisdom 
designed every believer to be interdependent, to live in interdependent relationships within biblical community. Let me say that again. God, in His infinite wisdom, designed every believer to live in interdependent relationships within biblical community. And that word interdependent really is the key. Interdependence means that we need each other, that we need each other. I need you. You need me. And every part matters, even more than we think. And when we fail to live interdependently, there are tragic consequences for us individually and for the church as a whole. Think about the human body. We talked about this in the context of spiritual gifts. Every part has an important role to play in contributing to the health of the whole. And watch this. The health of every part is dependent upon being connected to the whole. What happens to an arm that becomes disconnected from the body. It's going to eventually die. That part of the body is going to die. And the body will suffer for lack of an arm. It's a lose-lose proposition. And sadly, I believe this describes so much the condition of the church today. Isolated members not committed to biblical community who themselves are withering and dying and leaving the body to limp along at far less than the capacity for which it could because of its lack of contribution of that isolated and dying member. But in contrast, when every part in the body of Christ does fulfill its God-given role, Again, in the context when we're talking about spiritual gifts, the result is so beautiful. It's so energizing. God is glorified. The church is edified or built up. Good triumphs over evil, and believers live full and abundant lives. That is the vision I want to cast for you today regarding biblical community and the church becoming all that it could be and all that it should be. For you see, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in obedience to God's Word, we can be this kind of body, a body which stands out from the world and perhaps even stands out from among other churches who, who again, are sadly not fulfilling this concept of biblical community, but stands out as an example, as a bright, burning beacon of what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. In biblical community, which cannot be found anywhere else in the world. So that is the wonder of believers in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, that God in His infinite wisdom designed every believer to live in interdependent relationships within biblical community. Lastly, let's look at the way of believers. The way of believers. And here's where we make the jump to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Very connected passages which have a lot to do with each other. So turn with me there if you would. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. You see, once we commit to live in biblical community, these are the kind of things that we do. This is a taste of what those activities are in biblical community. And they are, in fact, intensely practical. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The first practical component in this passage in the way of believers is that we are to meet with one another. We are to meet with one another. It's as simple as that. We are to meet with one another in order to perform the one another's. We have to be together. Look again at the text in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Let's be real for a moment. The contemporary American church is neglectful in meeting together. The current statistics are that people consider themselves to be regular church attenders, a regular part of a church, when they show up for a worship service once or twice a month. And the truth of the matter is that Sunday worship for many is their plan B. Sunday worship for some is their plan B, meaning that if there isn't a plan A for Sunday, then we will default to plan B and be at Sunday worship. True? Parents, grandparents, be very aware of what your plan A and your plan B are teaching your children and your grandchildren. Now, it could be argued that the church is enabling this problem with live stream technology, kind of like we're engaged in right now. There may be a point here. We've made it so that people can get their Sunday spiritual fix from the couch at home in isolation, apart from biblical community. But the fact of the matter is, you can watch a sermon online, but you cannot do discipleship online. You can watch a sermon online, but you cannot do discipleship online. Why? Because a central component of discipleship, as we saw in the marks of discipleship, is biblical community. Disciples are missional, accountable, reproducible, communal, and scriptural. Communal meaning that they do life deeply with their brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a place and a time for online sermons as a supplemental resource. And I know that this resource has been very important to those of you who are in a a life situation where you are prevented from physically gathering. And so this is not to heap condemnation upon anyone in that particular situation. However, online sermons can never be a substitute for God's people who are capable gathering together in biblical community. So, The first component of the way of believers is we are to meet with one another. And the second is that we are to encourage one another, that we are to encourage one another. Look at the second half of verse 5 where it very simply says, encouraging one another, and then the underlined portion I think is key, and all the more as you see the day with a capital D drawing near. That day that it is speaking of is the return of Jesus Christ. We are one day closer today than we were yesterday, one year closer today than we were a year ago. And the Scriptures tell us that as the return of Christ draws near, things are going to get worse. I don't want to be pessimistic and cynical, but the fact of the matter is my Bible tells me that as the return of Christ draws near, things are not going to get better and better and better. Things are going to get worse and worse. 2 Timothy 3 says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Does any of this sound familiar? It requires great courage to live as a Christian in these times as the day is approaching which is one of the primary ways that we are designed to minister to one another, that we need each other. We need encouragement. For that word encourage literally means to put courage in. Encouragement is to put courage in, which is a key component in living in biblical community. It is, in fact, to be one of our primary purposes as a church, as we live in community together, that we would encourage one another as we gather together. Can I ask you, how are you doing with that? Are you intentional about fulfilling your role as an encourager in the body of Christ? You know, some people have a spiritual gift of encouragement. They just excel in encouragement, but that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook. We are all called to be encouragers, to put courage into one another in these perilous days. Or sadly, perhaps you are a reason that someone needs to be encouraged. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 says this, Encourage one another daily. Encouragement is to be a lifestyle. For we all need courage put into us as we live in these days of trial and tribulation. And if this is going to happen daily then you need to be intentionally developing relationships in the church that go beyond Sunday. For truthfully, just as discipleship cannot be fulfilled with an online sermon, neither can it be fulfilled with a weekly worship service. The weekly worship service is a part of our discipleship, but it cannot be the fullness of our discipleship. We are to encourage one another daily. The only way that that can happen is as we develop relationships of biblical community where we meet together often. So, in the way of believers, we are to meet with one another, we are to encourage one another, and thirdly, we are also to spur one another. We are to spur one another. Look at Hebrews 10.24 again. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I, I, I prefer how the NIV reads because it's so visual. It's such an illustration of what this is all about. Hebrews 10.24 in the NIV says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good works. Again, you're familiar with what a spur is. That's what a, someone riding a horse might wear to kind of dig into the side of that horse a little bit to, to get it to go, to get it to do what it's designed to do. And the truth is that every single one of us needs to be spurred a little bit from time to time. Am I right? I know I do. Sometimes we need that pat on the back of encouragement. And sometimes we need a kick a little bit lower. That spurring on. Left to ourselves, we become apathetic. We become comfortable. We become lazy, which are not marks of a growing disciple. We need some loving accountability to keep us moving in the right direction and at the right pace, to raise the bar of discipleship in our lives that we might be all that God intends for us to be. It says in Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
Church, do you have a friend or perhaps several friends that you trust enough to wound you when you need it, to spur you on to love and good works? Again, such friendships are not formed online or by showing up periodically to a Sunday worship service. They are formed through intentional investment in biblical community. I need this kind of friendship, and so do you. God designed us for this. His Word instructs us in this. He has called us to this. He has called us to meet with one another, to encourage one another, and to spur one another. This is the way of believers. And so again, in Romans chapter 12 and Romans and Hebrews 10, we are called to be members one of another. Just reviewing quickly, Paul gave us a warning to believers, a warning regarding faulty thinking and a forgetful thinking, all of which leads to prideful self-sufficiency apart from the community. And then In the wonder of believers, God in His infinite wisdom designed every believer to live in interdependent relationships within biblical community. And then Hebrews 10 showed us three components of this kind of biblical community. We are to meet with one another, we are to encourage one another, and we are to spur one another. So, now what? Well, we have some very practical opportunities for you to take some next steps into biblical community. We want to make it very easy for you to do that. And so I would like to ask everyone, I'm going to do this on Sunday morning, I'm going to ask you to do it right now, to take out your phone. Take out your phone. And uh, not, not this kind of phone, right? That won't do. That's not going to help us today. Anybody remember phones like this? Uh, some of you have never seen a phone like that before. You're young enough, but uh, many of us have. Um, take out this kind of phone. And next, go to your text app, and after you go to your text app, type in the number on the screen, 231-261-1112, and then type the word connect. So far, so good, right? Wait about 10 seconds or so, because after you type in that number and then you type in the word to connect, after about 10 seconds, there is going to appear a very simple Google form. And that Google form represents an invitation to sign up for one of several next steps into biblical community that we as a church could help you in this way. These include, first of all, connect groups. Connect groups. We've done several rounds of these as a church, and they've been extremely beneficial to accomplish just what their title is, to help connect people. And the very simple strategy of connect groups, beginning next Sunday for just five weeks, just five weeks, is that after morning worship, we gather around round tables in the commons, we meet new people, we make connections, and we talk about application of the sermon. We take it deeper into application. We make some connections. We get to know some new people. Again, this is extremely important in a church that has multiple worship services where we may or may not even interact with people in another worship service. Here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity to break down whatever barrier may be represented by that and to meet some new people and perhaps sow some seeds that might lead to deeper relationship and biblical community to fulfill some of the things that we were just talking about. Those uh, connect groups meet from 1130 to 1215 on Sundays beginning on September 18th. Child care and snacks are provided. We look forward to you joining with us in connect groups. So um, if that is you, on that Google form, 
please make the appropriate indication. Next is an invitation for new discovery classes, or what we may call adult Sunday school. These are classes taught by some incredible teachers here at First Baptist Church, Steve Plater, Stan Zaka, and Luke Rumor is going to be teaching a very special class as well. And those are described, I believe, on that Google form. We've been sending you um, announcements about the the content of those classes. Um, These classes are not just meant for information and inspiration, but they are also opportunities for you to develop relationships with other folks in the church. Again, these are adult discovery classes. We do not have these for this particular coming semester for children or for youth, but adults, we invite you to come and be a part of these discovery classes. If that is you, please indicate so on that Google form. Next, uh, Discover First Baptist with myself and my wife, Christy, September 24th, 9 a.m. to noon, located here at Room 100 at FBC. This is an opportunity, if you are newer to First Baptist Church, uh, to come on in for a couple hours on a Saturday morning, get to know Christy and myself, and to get to know the life and ministry of First Baptist Church. Um, It's an opportunity to kind of dip your toe in the water and learn more about how we're structured, what we believe, and what the church is like. It's also an opportunity for you to meet some other people who are newer to the church. And again, plant some seeds that may very well grow into deeper relationships. So if that is you and you would like to join us September 24th from 9 a.m. to noon right here at First Baptist Church, there will be child care provided for that. We need to know that you'll be coming and um, how many kids you have and their ages. And then next, something called a D-Group Launch Conference or event, Saturday, October 15th, 10 a.m. to noon. You hear me talk a lot about discipleship, about the marks of a disciple, disciples being missional, accountable, reproducible, communal, and scriptural. That is what God intends for every one of us, and I am a firm believer that discipleship groups, what are called D-Groups, are a key component to becoming that kind of of disciple. And so if, you, if that's piquing your interest a little bit and you'd like to hear more about that and to what that's all about and what that looks like, please join us on Saturday, October 15th from 10 a.m. to noon. It goes really, really fast, but I believe it's incredibly um, fruitful and beneficial to be a part of it. And uh, once again, the sowing of seeds, which may very well lead to relationships that lead to this kind of discipleship group for you to participate in. And so Again, you access this Google form by typing in the number on the screen and typing the word connect. And if you are not a texting type of person, always, 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 you can sign up for any of these ministries and more by contacting the church office, and we will be glad to help you make that particular connection. Finally, let me close with this quote. It's actually become one of my favorites. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And church, God has not called us to go fast alone. He has called us to go far together. And I believe with all of my heart that First Baptist Church in Cadillac is uniquely positioned to be a shining example of just what this kind of journey looks like. Would you join me in it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again so much for this particular church body, for the so many ways in which you have blessed us. God, would you help us to take next steps in biblical community? We know that those steps are costly, but God, again, remind us that it is far more costly not to take those steps. 
And God, for every single one of us, I'm assuming that there are steps that all of us can take to be better stewards of our time, of our energy, to make room for what matters most. Forgive us for those times where we've engaged in things that are good, but they've become enemies of the best, and we're doing perhaps things that you never even intended for us to do because they are interfering with what is best. God, would you help us to make some hard decisions? And would you help us to be obedient? This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.